We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. You're getting really excited. No, it's not chocolate. It is Neil Jakes. Let's, let's pray for Neil and for us that we'll be receptive. Yeah? And that he'll be receptive as well. Father God, we thank you for Neil. We thank you for all the things that he's brought and shared with us as the community. We thank you for his family and for their planting in with us. We thank you, Father God, that how you've used him and how he's been part of us. Father God, I pray today that you would speak directly through him, that we, our hearts would be opened and tuned into your word. Amen. 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 Think I should be on? Yeah. Excellent. Daniel made two references to chocolate this morning. And just for the record, really weirdly, in the last week I've met two people who've said, chocolate, I don't really like chocolate. I mean, I didn't even know these people existed in the world. So if you're, you know, if you're looking for miraculous conversations, I mean, there's one right there. Also, thank you for praying. Um, I always think that people need a lot of prayer when I'm speaking. So... So, um, all right, today uh, I'm taking us to talk about St. Stephen, um, or Stephen, as he's properly known. Um, We just added the saint bit, like a mister, really, to kind of imply that he was something special. And I hope by the end of it we'll talk about why he was given that additional bit. Just to start off with, have you heard of Stephen? And what do you know about him? What do you know about it? Oh, oh, by the way, the picture, I should, there's a, there's, the picture is of St. Stephen's Church, Bells Hill, Barnet. Now, that's the church I didn't go to when I was growing up. There were two churches right next door to each other. There was a, a, an old chapel, a nonconformist chapel, and there was the Anglican church next door. That was the church I didn't go to, but I did know it was called St. Stephen. Isn't it sad that in the world of denominations, we have churches that we didn't go to, some of us. And, uh, and yet now, God has brought us into something new. Anyway, that's St. Stephen's Church, named after Stephen. What do you know about Stephen? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened to him? Or what, sorry, no. He got stoned, yes. Not in the East London sense. He got, he got, he was... He was killed, yeah? Uh, and most of us know that that happened, okay? And, and um, we're going to come back to that um, towards the end uh, to talk about it. But, you know, what most of us know about Stephen is that, well, he didn't really look like that, but that's a painting, but that's him being stoned, and uh, the painter has put uh, a mark around him to sort of pick him out in the crowd. He didn't actually have a collar like that or anything like that. Um, And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Stephen. But I'm going to start by talking about making a fresh start, okay? Now, these are snowdrops. I love snowdrops. There's something... We're a bit... I'm a bit late delivering this particular thought for the day. But, you know, snowdrops, they're planted, and gardeners forget all about them. And what feels like the middle of winter, under this very dark and leafy mould... Uh, there is something going on that we don't know about. And then through the earth come forth these amazing 
amazing flowers. There's a lot of preparation been going on under the soil, but just at the right time, they come out. Um, on my way to school, I drive past a, a massive oak tree, a very old oak tree in Chigwell, which is known as, um, what's it known as? Charles, the Charles Dickens Oak. Um, now, I'm going to show you a picture here. It's got a watermark on it. I'm sorry, I didn't have a picture to hand. Um, but this is the tree I drive past, and it must have been there for about 300 years, 400 years. And along the side of the road, you can see there, there's, there's this, uh, this bank of daffodils. Uh, every day I drive past this particular point, and as some of you know, I've um, worked in one place for quite a lot part of my life, um, and so I have certain rhythms of life. And one of the rhythms of life is driving along this particular road um, once too quickly and ended up facing the other way on the other side of the road. But that was another story. I won't go there. Um, but um, as I drive past this bank, I begin to, as in the darkest winter months, you begin to see the daffodils poking up. And uh, you begin to see this green and you think, oh, there's something coming. There's something coming. And uh, you, you drive past them, and then, of course, you begin to see the actual, uh, not the flower, but the bud, don't you? And you begin to see the, the promise of the bud. And then suddenly, something changes, and they come out. Now, actually, the way they flower is even more special for me, because uh, they flower, it actually shows it here, the ones that aren't under the tree, they flower first. So that prolongs the, the flowering period. So you drive past this amazing bank of yellow daffodils and it gets gets prolonged it pro gets prolonged because of the effect of shade of the tree and um, you know th this tree as I say has been there for like 350 years it used to mark one of the field boundaries in the Chigwell farm there and um, a long time ago uh, that's long the whole uh, hedge has been dug up but we're left with this blaze of color every every year that I drive past now, we believe that God is on the point of something very special. We're driving along the road, and we can see the buds on the verge. I just want to really just flag that, that there is a fresh start coming. There is something new that God is doing. And I think that we could be asleep in the earth waiting for the change of season, but God's saying, now is the time so looking at 2 Corinthians 6, 2, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I believe this is a, a significant time for us, and it's time for us to blossom. It's time for us to bloom. It's time for us to, I think many of us are, and we need to recognize it in one another and to see what God is doing and to call it out positively. I can see this thing and it, what God's doing, um, and it's marvellous. On Friday, I was at school, as I am uh, most, most uh, term days, and we had an assembly, and it was um, our Muslim society talking about Eid, and in the middle of this talk, which is about various things, the girl talked about how amazing it would be, or how important it is to be able to make a fresh start. Imagine all the things you've done wrong. Like we just heard Leonie thinking about, the things you've done wrong. Imagine every one of those being dealt with. 
Now, for this girl, she was talking about the fact that for them, the season of prayer and fasting is a time when they kind of make a fresh start. But my faith is different to that because that's about what she's doing, which is we come to him. New every morning, his mercies are, he says. And I started thinking about this new start that God gives us by his grace. It's not earned by our activity. It's not earned by the... By the, by the number of pages we read of our Bible or the verses we sing. He paid the price that we can know him. It's not our effort to get to him, but what he has done to get to us. So um, that's a sort of little bit of an introduction. Um, and uh, we're going to look now at Acts 6. Um, Stephen is pretty famous as it goes. But he's only in two chapters of one book of the Bible. Uh, and I think, uh, more or less, and uh, that's Acts 6 and 7. And of course, and of course the Acts of the Apostles uh, is like the sequel, uh, the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to tell everyone about Jesus. He then wrote Acts to tell us about the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. So in a way, the Acts is like another Gospel, some people say, but it's like the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. It's like the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. So we can know about what happens. And uh, so we're going to have a look in Acts 6. Now, it's good to know that in Acts 6, we find that the church is not without its difficulties. So in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them had complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Don't let those long names bother you. The people from Greece were complaining against the people from Israel that they weren't being looked after. So the twelve gathered and all the disciples, uh, the twelve gathered all the disciples together. That's the disciples, and said, "It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables, brothers and sisters. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and will give our attention to prayer." and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and, the Holy, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who convert, uh, convert, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what we see is there's a need that something's not being done and so what happens is the leadership look for people. They don't look for people who are particularly good at waiting on tables. They look for people that are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. The qualification for serving... Um, um, our qualification to serve in the church comes from God. It doesn't come from something that we have, that we've achieved, but it's something that he's given us. Um, and it's the same qualification, whether we want to, uh, to, to lead worship, whether we want to put out the chairs, whatever it is we want to do, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. When we talk to people, when they're joining us, we talk about you know, the, the significance of being open to the Holy Spirit. I'd encourage you, are you fully open to the Holy Spirit this morning? Because if we're not, and if we've got doors of our life that are closed off, then we're not going to operate in the way that God intends. 
You see, containers were always made to hold something. Oh, I've gone too far. There we go. Containers are made to hold something. Here's a pile of bottles, right? Now, I have heard that some people like to collect bottles. You know, you can go on eBay and you can see these old bottles and people put them to decorate their rooms and they look really lovely sometimes, some of them. But you know a bottle isn't anything unless it's got something inside it, really. Now, you were made to be a container of the Holy Spirit. Right back in Genesis 7, when God first made us, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. That is what you were designed to be full of. And that breath of life, a word for the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament is the word ruach, which is the breath of God. Right in the beginning it says the earth was formless and waste and the Spirit of God, the ruach of God, was hovering over the waters. That same ruach is what changed us, our atoms, the atoms that make us up, the carbon, the hydrogen, the oxygen, the calcium, all of those bits that were always in the earth. God breathed his Spirit into us and we became alive. Later, we find that in the story of the Valley of Dry Bones, God puts his breath into those, and they become a vast army. The breath of God, the Ruach of God, the Holy Spirit of God is what changes us from being just atoms joined together into being something that's alive to him, truly alive. Now, this pile of rubbish here is you know, a good illustration of plastic pollution, isn't it? How many people do we meet are empty of him and how many people could know so much more of him if only they knew and how will they know if we don't tell them it says in in Acts 6 that, that these men were full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit full of the Holy Spirit we use that expression to be full of something don't we um <laughs> Uh, you could say, is, what's that? I don't know which. Is it Wednesday's child is full of woe? Yeah. Might be. Um, uh, when I, I tend to get a little bit down sometimes, my wife was correcting me this morning on a conversation we'd had with someone, and she said, talked about, um, we have an expression for me, which is W-I-M, which is woe is me. Okay, woe is me. If I'm talking about something that hasn't quite gone right, it's a W-I-M moment, is it? You know what I say? Uh, and I'll say, well, maybe. To be full of woe, to be full of... Oh, we can be full of joy. Some people are full of themselves. We can be full of rage. We know what all of these things look like, don't we? But actually, the people that God chooses to serve are the ones that are full of him. The container isn't it. It's the treasure that goes inside so how can you tell what you're full of? Well, I think that illustration for the hand and the glove is really important. You know, God wears us like a glove. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, the hand does the things that we, the hand, does the things that he wants us to do. Um, someone said, being filled with the Spirit is allowing the Spirit to be the driver. It's yielding to his will, his commands, his desires, his agenda, his timing, his wisdom. It's allowing him to have control of us, and it's impossible to be filled with yourself and filled with the Spirit at the same time. 
See, sometimes we work out what we need to do, but we don't always have the timing right. I think that, I think that is a really, a really helpful little paragraph there. But, um, you know, one, one of the things we often have talked about, uh, I've, I've heard John refer to over the years, has been we need to know not only the mind of God, but also the, what am I going to say, moment, the moment. We need to know what, what God has for us to do and when we need to do it. Because timing is, like in good comedy, the secret of everything. No, but it is, timing is absolutely key. I can have absolutely the solution and the, the thing to what God intends. So we have to have the, be aware of those traffic lights. Now, what we have been encouraged recently is that the, it's green for go, pretty much at the moment. Most of the time, when we're thinking of what to say, expect green for go. Another way of telling what, we, what, we, what we're full of is, is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, if you have a look at that, you can have a look at the whole sort of surroundings. But the things that come out of us when we're under pressure are a good indicator of what's inside of us. I think the phrase, I couldn't find it on the internet, so I don't know where I've heard it. But what comes out when the vessel is shaken is, is what I have in my head. So if you shake a bottle that's full of water, the water comes out. Shake a water, shake um, a bottle that's full of dirty water, the dirty water comes out, you know. Shake a bottle of Coca-Cola, and it... Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, the, the, thing I'm, the point I'm making is that what's inside of us comes out. And so, and so I think that that's, one of the, that's a really key thing. So in this story of Stephen... He was clearly showing to those elders, to those, to those disciples, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And at this point, the thing that he was demonstrating, I think were, were going to be the things like the fruit of the Spirit, were going to be the, how he responds under pressure. But let's have a look at how it, the story continues. So, firstly, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 8, the story... Oh, not supposed to see that. Uh, you're supposed to see this. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now, remember, this is the same Stephen who's just serving the food. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue and the freedmen, as it was called, the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. They could not stand up against his wisdom, that's against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. And for we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All, was, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, so that's the council of the Jewish leaders, all of those in the council of the Jewish leaders looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was the face of an angel. And... Um, I think that's a really weird thing. What does it mean to have a face of an angel? Now, it, um, in Ezekiel, we read that the angels have got four faces and they've got a lion and something else. I don't think that's what we're talking about here, okay? 
what we're talking about is something about is something about his calmness in the face of all this opposition. Now remember, he was chosen because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And now Stephen is full of God's grace and power. He's even more full than before. We know when we're serving in the right place because serving doesn't burn us out. God's never designed us to be like that. Actually, serving feeds our faith. We grow when we serve. Don't be afraid of doing things. That's a silly thing to say, perhaps, but maybe you need to hear it. Don't be afraid of offering yourself. The church doesn't eat people up. When we serve, God blesses. As we pour out, he pours in. Stephen is busy doing some stuff. And then whilst he's serving at table, which is not the most exciting thing in the world, perhaps, he's performing great wonders. Now, I don't think that's where he put the, you know, where he put the sausage. No, he wouldn't have sausages, would he? Sorry, that's the wrong. I don't think that's, maybe, maybe, who knows? Maybe I haven't got to that bit. It's not how he laid the chicken before the people, you know. It's, this, is, this is, wonders are miracles, right? So in the midst of this, he's just aware of what's going on, and God is using him. God wants us to serve with what we have. You know the saying, don't despise the day of small things. There is no such thing as a small task in the kingdom of God. Everything we do leads to the kingdom of God coming. Everything we do, whether, whatever you are doing, whatever we are serving, however we are serving, we're, we're achieving the same ends. We're, we're doing that thing the prayer was about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are bringing the kingdom of God. And um, I think... I think that's something we need to just be aware of. Because look at Stephen. This is, this is amazing. So he's in the midst of, he's basically been given a junior role because the important people are too busy. And in the midst of it, he's the one who's upsetting the elders. He's the one who's upset. He's not, it's not the disciples that get hauled before the Sanhedrin. It's this bloke who's waiting on tables. I mean, it's a really strange situation, isn't it? And... Um, Another thing to just pick out from this is Jesus never promised that when we followed him, life would get easier or that there wasn't any cost. Here's this gifted young man, happy to wait on tables if that's what's needed, performing miracles in his spare time, but he finds himself persecuted, never having done anything wrong. Sounds like someone else, doesn't it? In fact, when you look at the whole way it's set up and the story is being told here in Acts 6, doesn't it sound... Like what happened to Jesus? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. They're seeing someone. They're seeing someone that's upsetting them. They're, they're making up stories. They're getting false accusations. They bring him bring before the Sanhedrin. But there he is before them, and he has the face of an angel. How do you respond when you're under pressure? We all respond when we're under pressure, whether we like it or not. Not many of the ways we respond when we're under pressure are good. But when the Holy Spirit lives, truly lives inside of us, he can't help come out when we're under pressure. I think it probably means that he was radiant in some way, or glowing or shining. Um, we were talking about, I think at the prayer meeting this week, Elspeth was encouraging us about how when Moses had spent time with God in the meeting, at the tent of the meeting, he came out and his face shone. I think you, somebody said that 
I'm sure they said that this week. Somebody said that this week. It doesn't matter. Um, isn't that interesting? That in, so in that story, that was about going away and being with God in the temple. But for Stephen, I think he's been pretty busy serving, actually. And yet he's still glowing. Is there a picture there of a difference between the old and new? In the new, we don't have to go to the temple to be in the presence of God, do we? When I'm teaching in the classroom, God's with me. When you're at your workplace, God's with you. And when we're in the presence of God, our countenance, our face is changed. As we link ourselves to him, as we, as we draw on him, so our faces can be like those of an angel. There was something holy majestic or even glorious about him. Everyone's turned on him, all the leaders he once respected, but he doesn't respond in fear, justification or excuse. Perhaps he knows he's come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He has a bigger purpose than himself or his situation. So what they've accused him of is telling, of saying that he's saying bad things against Moses and against God. So I think that's the reason why Then in Acts 7, verses 1 to 50, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Some of you might be pleased to know. But in Acts 7, 1 to 50, he he basically traces the history of the Jewish people. Um, He he goes through the history of the Jewish people, and he talks, starting with Abraham, he goes through Abraham's offspring, goes through what they call the patriarchs, so that's... um, uh, Jacob's, Jacob's, Jacob's children. Um, so talking about um, talking about uh, Joseph and uh, how he saved them through uh, what he did in Egypt and how the brothers all turned against him before that and ending up with Moses and David, then Solomon and Solomon being the one who built the temple. Um, I don't think he came up with the story on the spot, but of course, if he'd been around the synagogue, this is how they told stories. So. They, they didn't have this. We have this. Uh, we also have this. So if we want to know the answer to something, we mostly look it up in here. But back in those days, people knew the stories because they told the stories. And for 50 verses, that's what he does. Without deviation or hesitation, he basically goes through what he believes about the people he's been accused of saying false things about. I don't, as I say, I don't think he came up with the answer on the spot. I think he had already thought about it. A long answer, 50 verses, probably wouldn't work for everyone in my place of work. But I think we need to ask God how to answer questions. And sometimes those questions will need long answers. In this last week, last couple of weeks, I've had really... Strange situations, and I I, I say strange because what I'm saying is we're talking about the Holy Spirit opening things up for us as a church. So I'm sitting in the common room, and somebody says, so what kind of church do you go to? Sorry, my staff staff room, sorry. In the staff room, what kind of of church do you go to? And I said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm kind of like, I suppose I'm one of the elders of the church. Oh, so is it like a kind of Presbyterian church? I said, well... No, not really. So is it like a watered-down Presbyterian church? If I said, well, no, not really. And then 
we got into other conversations and talking about knowing God and, and so on. Um, but basically, sorry, my phone's gone off now. Um, but thinking about how to answer questions like that, or on Wednesday I was talking to someone who's quite senior in my school, talking about feeling like giving up in their job because they feel like they can't do it anymore. And then on Friday, I'm meeting a, a, child I used, a child who I used to teach, who's now 35, I think he told me, so he's not really a child anymore. Um, but he'd come back to school because he had some stuff he wanted to offer us through his work. And so we're talking about this engineering stuff. And in the middle of it, he goes, um, it's because it's really sad because my mum and dad are really religious. And I said, oh, okay. So I just heard it, and I thought, well, this is an opportunity. What, what do you mean? Anyway, we went into some detail about it. I'm not going to talk about the detail. But I, I talked to him about what my faith meant to me a bit. And I suppose what I'm saying is, just like we're being encouraged, we're in a time when these conversations are going to come up when we least expect them. And it's important to know how we can give an answer. Because we can trust the Holy Spirit is going to help us. Um, and what I think, um, yeah, so, so just, that's just a, uh, questions are coming. I suppose my challenge to you is, are you ready? Now, here's the, here's the thing. So he's, um, 1 Peter says, um, and I, I, I chose this scripture because I think it just like, illustrates, this is written after, this is written after Stephen goes through what he goes through. But it's, Peter's involved in this, in this situation. He sees it from afar. It's not actually him that it's happening to. But even if you should suffer for what's right, you are blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Be always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So, I just put that there because it's an encouragement to us to be prepared to give an answer. And that, that means two things. One, to actually be happy to do so. But it also says be prepared to give an answer. And for those of you involved in Alpha, one of the things that's great about doing Alpha is it gives you a great opportunity to practice your answers. And, and actually, that's the thing that's so great about it. And one of the things. And, and I just really encourage you to think through these things. Because sometimes we get a little bit lost in all our ideas. And actually, what people want to know is, is there a God in heaven who cares for me? Can he make a difference? What if I pray? Does it, does it help? How has it helped you? Can God heal today? So in the middle of this sermon, so he's talking about, he's talking about this whole history, which I say I'm not going to go into. He gets to verse 50, which up until now has been pretty much standard recital of the history of the Jewish people. And he says, suddenly, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? 
They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you've betrayed and murdered him. And you who have received the law given you sorry, and you who have received the law that was given through angels, but not obeyed it. So it's like it's like he's he's got his script, he's been going through his script, and you can imagine he's got to those last three verses, because they weren't three verses then when he spoke them, but that last paragraph, and you can just imagine everyone going, he's just said that thing. And it, it's like the Holy Spirit has taken hold of him, the glove, and he's just suddenly said a whole load of stuff, which he'd never have said before. He'd have said all that other stuff was, was what he's, it's like he's been brought up with. And suddenly he finds himself saying stuff that he, he maybe wasn't prepared. Do you know, I'm going to use, so many of us were here last week. I haven't asked Daniel whether this is true. But in the middle of what Daniel was praying last, uh, sharing last week, he suddenly went into something about choice. Remember, he went into talking about how people have choices. And it was like, it was like suddenly there was something else that he was bringing. We were, I, I felt it. It was like there was, a, there was a thing that was coming that was for now, and we all heard it. Yeah? And I think it's a little bit like that. We can find ourselves giving someone an answer, and then suddenly the, the, <laughs> the glove comes, the hand comes, and we find that thing spilling out of us. Now, when the members of the Sanhedrin, I've seen the time, when the members of the Sanhedrin saw, um, heard this, um, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Now, no one's ever done that to me, although I have annoyed a few people. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, he's now going to describe what he sees. Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now Jesus said, from now on you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. That was the thing he said after his resurrection. And at this point, he's standing. And what does that imply? Well, he's engaged. He's on our side. Jesus is not far off. When we are being challenged, um, Jesus is there. He's not unaware of the challenges we face. When we have that difficult conversation and there's just me and someone else in the room, he's with us. Maybe I'm the only believer in my place of work, but he's with us. And when people around us are telling us that things are as they see them, not as I see them, Jesus can be standing with us. You know, he prays for us and he's watching and cheering us on. There's a sense in which he kind of stands up at this point to kind of support Stephen. And he's seen it. He's seen that vision. What have we been asking for? We've been asking to catch a glimpse of of Jesus, a fresh glance, a glimpse of him. He sees that vision. Being full of the Spirit gives us that fresh vision of him. And, you know, Hebrews 12 talks about not only Jesus, but the, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We, 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 need to, we need to press on towards the goal which, for which Christ has called us heavenwards. There's that thing, don't forget the reason he's called us. Press on, press on. And, and at this... They covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man called Saul. And whilst they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he sent this, he fell asleep.
What a way to die, to die for him. We may not face death, but there are ways in which we die without dying physically in the eyes of others. But how Stephen died here, full of the Holy Spirit, is as Jesus died. Jesus said, receive my spirit. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen knows how Jesus died, and he dies. Different method, but he dies on his terms. You know, it was interesting. So talking about the Easter story, we're celebrating together, we're worshipping together on Friday, on Good Friday. Jesus' death is not a defeat. Stephen's death is not a defeat. Jesus' death was the ultimate obedient sacrifice to the loving Father as he laid down his life for us. And as he died on the cross, it wasn't him beaten. It was the enemy that was beaten. The resurrection... I get excited about that. You've, the grave, when we sing the song, up from the grave he arose, you know, we get excited about that. But when he died on the cross, when Stephen died here, that's a victory. That is crossing the tape running. That is making the good finish. You know, after this, you'd think, well, maybe things would get better. It says in Acts 8, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Things got worse before they got better. In fact, they didn't really get much better in Acts at all. But in the fullness of God, in fullness of time, God spoke to Saul. Saul witnessed. He'd not been there when Jesus died. He was there when Stephen died. How did that, how did that testimony affect him? When later he was reading Luke's account of how Jesus died, do you not think he would have gone, wow, that's what Stephen did. How powerful that would have been. The way we respond, you know, when I said to you, what do you remember about Stephen? Nobody said, oh, he preached this great 51st sermon, right? We can get very worried about what we say and whether we'll say what we say is right. Actually, what we do often communicates far more than what we say. In fact, not often, always. And how we respond. Do you know in those conversations, I wish I could tell you the brilliant answers I gave to those three people that I was talking to this week. I couldn't, but I listened to them and asked them questions about what they thought. And I think that's what often our role is, to ask questions, because ultimately, it's God who draws people to him. So, just to recap before we finish, being full of the Spirit... So being full of the Spirit, what difference did it make to Stephen? Well, it enabled him to show the fruit of the Spirit. I believe that's how he would have been selected. He would have been seen to be one who was full of that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
gentleness and self-control. It enables him to serve where there's a need without feeling proud or disappointed that he's not got a bigger badge. It enables him to perform signs and wonders but remain content in the calling that he has. It gives him wisdom and insights that no one else can cope with. When he's answering the, the Sanhedrin, he just keeps trumping them. He keeps coming up with things. It gives him a sight of Jesus when he needed it most. And it allows him to forgive and pray for those who are against him. What it doesn't do, being full of the Spirit, it doesn't avoid difficulties or hardship. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't pray. If we, feel that, if we feel that someone is under additional pressure, they've taken a step for God, and then they're, they're like, things are starting to go wrong. I don't know, the car won't start, the washing machine doesn't work, or whatever it is. doesn't mean we don't pray into that situation. At the same time, you know, Stephen had it worse. I'm grateful I'm, I haven't had <laughs> Things don't always go right, is I suppose what I'm trying to say. But at the same time, God is in it with us. And, um, you know, the other thing about being full of the Spirit is it doesn't help you to blend in. <laughs> it really doesn't. It doesn't help you to kind of say something that, that really everyone else agrees with. In fact... Quite a lot of the time, I think we, we will say things that people won't agree with. Now, the, the key thing, I said the mind and the moment thing, I think is about how we present it so that we, people know that, that we think different. But it's not that, don't, don't play Punch and Judy because it doesn't work, you know. Just, if there's so many, what's it, people know more about what Christians don't believe in than what they do. You know, it's that, that thing, don't engage. There's some things that are just not worth engaging with because it's, it's about him, about submitting to him. The kingdom of God is established as we lay down our lives for him. So, yeah, what do we remember about Stephen? It's not his sermon. Um, in fact, most of what he says is written elsewhere in the book, isn't it? You know, if we want to find out what he preached, you could just look, look a bit back and we could have found the same thing. What we remember is what he did. And today, I don't think just the words scratch where it itches. We remember the way he died and gave up his life. What we do communicates more than what we say. Um, I remember John talking about... Um, I, was trying to, I was trying to remember. Well, it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter. Talking about someone who was teaching the do-loss session on commitment in St. Martin. And, um, and they had to have dialysis. They were very sick. And uh, he basically had gone from... He basically had to be in, in hospital for seven hours and then went to teach that night and then the next day, dialysis, and then went to teach the next day. And that's what he did. Uh, that was his commitment. His life was teaching and doing dialysis. Um, we see John here most weeks. What a testimony of commitment. So God has called us to be full of the Spirit. He's called us to stick at things, to hit the tape running. And, uh, and that's really just my encouragement this morning is, look at Stephen, look at how he lived, look at the life he had I mean, it's, it's two chapters. It's two chapters, six and seven of Acts. 
He appears on the scene to serve at some tables. He ends up dead under a rock, or quite a pile of them, probably. And yet we all know him because of how he lived. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I just ask now for your Holy Spirit to move amongst us. I thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you've given us these examples for us to learn from. We look to you now, Holy Spirit. We want to be full of you. We want to overflow. We want to surrender to you. We don't want to love our lives so much that we miss you. We want to lay down our lives for you. Lord, give us that hunger. Stir that hunger in us that we might serve you in that anointing. Fresh today. Blessed be your name. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.